I was this close to preaching on Noah and the ark. I should have listened. But I chose this passage instead because I think it's a strange passage. It is an odd place. It's an unusual time in history, maybe the most unusual time in all of humankind. It's one of those places where I keep expecting Alice in Wonderland to suddenly pop up in the middle of the story and say, it's curiouser and curiouser. You see, this is the most miracle-laden moment, the most miracle-laden age in the history of humankind. Almost to the point where miracles seem to become commonplace. But not this one. Moses is coming down the mountain for the second time. You know, the first time he came down, that was pretty disastrous. The golden calf, everybody's worshiping, everything's going wrong. He flings the commandments, they break. Not something I would have done with something written by the finger of God, but it was an occasion called for drastic action. So Moses goes back up on the mountain a second time. He receives these commandments again written by God's finger a second time. He comes back down, thank God no golden calf, no strange worship going on, but something unusual is happening to Moses and he's not really keenly aware of it because when he comes back down his face, his face is all aglow. And it's a glow. I mean, it, it, it's, it's really shining. It, it's, it's, a, it's an unusual Hebrew word, Quran, that means shown. And it doesn't mean that he's got a suntan. It's not just the radiance that comes off your face if you've got a, a good sunburn going, or you didn't somehow stumble into a bunch of gold flecks and they're reflecting light off his face. No. The word Quran means beams of light shooting out. And it's not mistaking the fact that his face is really glowing. It's an unexplained and unusual phenomenon. The Israelite reaction is, well, understandable because it's the human reaction. I mean, wouldn't you be scared? I mean, they're scared. They're frightened by this because they've seen Moses. They've known Moses. They've never quite seen him in this particular shining, glowing state. And so they wouldn't even come near to him until he calls out to them. Even Aaron was afraid. His brother was afraid to come. But finally Moses calls out and they realize that it is him and they start to come near to him. See, everything about this whole experience with God has been unusual. It's been strange. It's been frightening. It's been overwhelming for them. I mean, Seeing the Nile turn to blood is something that's at least disconcerting, but when the frogs and the locusts and the lice and everything else starts to happen, all the plagues come one after another. They just kind of combine, they pile on top of one another until they experience the presence, even the passing by of the angel of death. And as if that wasn't enough for one generation, then they go out into the wilderness. Then their backs are against the Red Sea. Then Moses strikes with his, his uh, staff and all of a sudden the sea parts and they walk across on dry land. And then the sea comes down on the Egyptian chariots that are still pursuing them. And then he goes and he touches a rock and water comes out of the rock and quail come down from heaven. And then manna comes down from heaven. And all of these miracles combine for them to 
just kind of go, what is happening? And then Moses comes down and his face has beams of light going out from it. It has to be an unusual time to be alive. And oddly enough, the thing that fascinates me about this story may not be the thing that is most spectacular because maybe what ought to fascinate me is the beams of light coming from his face. But what fascinates me in the story is the veil. And what fascinates me the most about the veil is what's the point? I mean, seriously, what's the point? If you had the glory of God on your face, would you wear a veil? I don't think so. You'd be popping that thing open and say, hey, look, guess where I've been? But Moses puts a veil on. And the problem with the veil is it doesn't really hide anything. I mean, they still know that his face is glowing. <laughs> Moses even removes it. I mean, most of the time he's talking to the people, when he's talking to the nation, he removes it. What's the point of this thing? When he walks into the tent of meeting, he unveils. When he comes out of the tent of meeting, he doesn't reveal, he unveils. So that he can talk to the people. This is the worst veil in the history of the world. It has no purpose, apparently. The second problem is that if it really doesn't hide anything, why bother to use it? If it has no effect, why would you buy it? Again, why, why hide the glory of God? Isn't this, this the very purpose of being in the tent of meeting to reveal the glory of God, to reveal the presence of God? What in the world are you doing hiding it? Doesn't it give credibility to Moses? Doesn't it give credibility to the whole tablets and the finger of God and the whole narrative? I guess the other problem I have with it is that the whole idea of the glory on him is an answer to Moses' prayer. If you go back a chapter earlier in Exodus 33, Moses is imploring, God, God, show me your glory. <laughs> and God says, okay. So he asks for it. He gets it. Now he's going to put it under a veil. What is this? It's a little bit like this little light of mine. Hide it under a bushel. No, we have to put it under a veil. No, what is the point of this? Does it seem odd to you? It seems strange to me that he would try and put it under a veil. Apparently this whole idea, this whole concept also intrigued Fanny Crosby. She wrote about it in one of her great hymns. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. Because that's what God says. I'll pass you by, but... You know, I'll, I'll put my hand over you and cover your eyes. You can see the backside of my glory. That's all you can take. I find that a fascinating hymn, don't you? Why would a blind woman, of all people, Fanny Crosby, write a hymn about God closing your eyes, but then opening them to reveal the backside of God's glory? Oh, my, what a story. So what's the point of the veil then if it doesn't hide the glory of God, doesn't hide the Shekinah, it doesn't hide God's radiance? Why in the world does Moses have the veil on? Well, Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 thinks that it's there to hide the fact that God's glory fades over periods of time. And if you're living under the law, that's the idea of living under death. And so therefore, Moses doesn't want everybody to see that the glory of God fades because if you live under death, life fades. 
I don't know. That doesn't help me much. I don't live under the law. How about you? I live under grace. So I'm still trying to figure out what's the point of the veil. I mean, it might be good rabbinic theology that Paul's expounding in 2 Corinthians 3, but I don't know how helpful it is to explain what the veil is doing on Moses' face. So I began to wonder, have we missed the point of the veil? Is the point of the veil to cover something up? I'm not sure that's the point of the veil. I think the point of the veil is that Moses unveils, that he uncovers. He uncovers that in two different places. He uncovers it when he goes into the tent of meeting and he's standing before God face to face, nothing hidden. Isn't that the way we ought to be? Maybe there's a lesson in that. Isn't that the way we ought to approach God? All too rarely it is. We approach God and we like to talk to God. Matter of fact, we like to talk so much to God when we approach Him that He doesn't have a chance to talk to us because we want God to hear about our problems. We don't want to listen to what God has to say about the solutions, the call, and the ministry that we're supposed to do. Maybe we've got to open ourselves to really being in the presence of God. And maybe that's the point of the veil, to remind Moses that the veil is open and he has to really be in the presence of God. That's not a simple thing to do, is it? To really be in the presence of God, not to be distracted by everything else, not to be distracted by all the other thoughts, not to be distracted by all the other things, not to be distracted by all the problems and all the people, to truly, really be in the presence of God. Maybe we ought to start practicing unveiling our faces when we go into prayer and when we go into the presence of God, when we are studying the Scripture. Maybe we ought to consciously open up the veil because the only way that we can truly be in the presence of God is to be in the presence of God with an unveiled face. Going to spend a lot of time in this place learning how to exegete the scriptures. What a waste of time that is if we do it with a veiled face. The only reason that you're being taught how to understand the scriptures is because there is an underlying assumption that when you study the word, when you study the scriptures, you will do so with an unveiled face face-to-face with God. How many uh, sermons have you heard that are more about what the preacher thinks than about what God says? Come on, you're allowed to amen that. I'm a preaching professor. I already know the answer. I've grown weary and tired of listening to sermons that are more about what somebody thinks than about what God says. I want to spend some time in the presence of God, worship when we worship God, and preaching when we preach the Word ought to be done with an unveiled face. We ought to be in the presence of God. You think you're coming here to sit in a classroom and have head knowledge? Absolutely not. You're here to be in the presence of God. Yes, when you're studying Hebrew and Greek. Honest to God. You come here to remove the mass, to remove the veil, to be in the presence of God. 
if preaching is about hearing from God, then shouldn't we expect ministers to spend some time with God, you know, unveiled, face to face? Shouldn't our preaching open up the heavens? Shouldn't it open up the heavens, not just reveal what we think of ourselves in a mirror? Shouldn't people expect to hear from God when we preach? Shouldn't they expect to hear from God, not just from us, not just from the preacher, not just from their particular pet doctrines and places and ideas and thoughts, not pop psychology, not the latest business philosophy. Don't people have a right to expect that they will hear from God because we as preachers have spent some time with God with an unveiled face? You don't have anything to say to anybody when you preach until God first speaks to you. The veil always shows that when it's open, when the preacher stands and the veil is taken back, it is not the preacher who is speaking. But it is the power of the presence of God. It is the Shekinah, the glory of God. It is the Spirit of God. Let's not take these simple prayers that we pray for granted. Oh Lord, hide this preacher behind the sacred desk. Let's mean these things. Instead of coming off with some kind of nice trip of the tongue phrase. When you stand to preach, when you stand to teach, when you stand to sing and to lead in worship, when you stand to be a witness for Jesus Christ, unveil the face and let the Spirit of God speak. I opened the doors to welcome you all in, and before I did, Dr. Chilcote was there and saw me in a robe and said, boy, we're getting formal today. And I said, yep, I think this is the first time I've preached in a robe here. But I have a purpose. For those of you that are in traditions that wear robes, tell me, why do you wear a robe? Why is it that you wear a robe? Because it looks good and means you don't have to worry about what clothes choice you made that Sunday morning? Because it says, boy, I'm ordained, look at me, I'm special, I got a robe. You know why you wear a robe? Because it's not you preaching. It's not about your voice. We stand here robed in preaching because we are standing before the people and we say to the people, this is not me, I'm speaking with an unveiled face because God has spoken to me and I am here to tell you what the glory of God has said about this word from the Lord. This is why we robe up. This is why we speak in this manner because we speak with unveiled faces. It is not our word. It is God's word. I don't care what you have to say. Like you. Interesting dinner conversation. 
Let's go to the restaurant. You can tell me things about yourself all that you want. But when you stand in the pulpit, for God's sake, and I mean that literally, for God's sake, tell them what God has said to you. Tell them what God has said in, your, in His Word. Tell them how the Spirit has opened up the text. And speak to them with an unveiled face. This is theology in the pulpit. Because when Jesus died and he took his last breath, from heaven God spoke in audible and physical ways. He died and an earthquake happened because all of heaven shook at the idea of the death of the Messiah. Jesus died, and those who had been dead started coming out of the graves and out of the tombs because life eternal had been given. And in the temple, an action happened that changed the whole meaning and understanding of who God is. Because there in the temple, this curtain that hid the Holy of Holies, that separated everyone, from the innermost sanctum where God dwelt, that was this barrier between humankind and God himself, was suddenly rent in two. The veil, the veil of the curtain of, on the Holy of Holies, that veil was unmasked. God reached down at the death of Jesus and unveiled God's face. And said, this is my son. This is the Messiah of the world. Hear ye him. You have one task. Whether you are a chaplain or a preacher or an associate pastor or a worship leader or a committed laywoman. You have one task. Live your life with an unveiled face and let the glory of God speak through you and out from you so that others may see His glory and glorify God in heaven. All the accolades you get are worthless and have no meaning. The only meaning is have you seen Jesus today? If you haven't, let me speak. Oh God, you who have given us the grand privilege of speaking with an unveiled face. You who have given us the privilege of sitting with you in a prayer closet, in a study, and in a seminary classroom and seeing you face to face and experiencing the depth of your glory. We give you thanks, O oh God, for pulling back the curtain, tearing the veil of the temple in two so that there is nothing hidden between thee and us. Help us, O oh Lord, to experience this in meaningful and powerful ways, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen.